Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com. Check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with SimplyFaster.com's Carl Vallier to discuss measuring performance. Guys, this is a really neat talk where Carl starts out sharing his thoughts on where we can start to look at uh, different things to, to figure out ways to measure performance with athletes, the limitations of measuring, and where he can you know, see things possibly getting better. We then talk about how simplyfaster.com can help in in many ways when, when we talk about the great products they have available uh, to the awesome educational materials that they put out and they're free and they sponsor other great podcasts too, including Joel Smith's Just Fly Sports. Um, if you guys don't subscribe to that, I would highly recommend listening to what Joel puts out. He, he's got a great show. And, and, you know, and then he candidly shares with us, you know, the impact of each of the presenters in this year's edition of the seminar and, and how they've influenced him and, and things that he's taken from him. And then we close talking about the future of measuring athletic performance and, you know, how coaches can stay ahead of this curve uh, in the aspects of, of this part of the game that we're involved in. Guys, this is really a fascinating talk. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. All right, here we go. Carl, thanks for being on with us today, my man. Honored again to be uh, to be back. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, brother. So listen, let's talk a little bit about uh, measuring performance and performance variables. Uh, let's start out with what people should be looking at and some ideas with how they could be looking at them, and let's roll from there. So that's a that's a it's it's opened enough so it allows me to kind of make sure that we start off with the, the right logic and reasoning before we get into sports science. I always make sure that people know that logic and reasoning trumps sports science because sports science is so narrow, sometimes you, you, know, for, you know, forget to see the big picture. So I think that a good way to look at things is, you know, when, when people are measuring, what you're trying to do is measure change and hopefully improvement. And what we're seeing is a lot of people are really threatened by this era of big data and, you know, analytics that they feel pressured to, to measure everything. And they feel that, you know, they have to do really deep dives on the stat on the stats in order to make sense of the data. When the reality is, if you really want to make a big impact, the simple things with very pragmatic approaches to analysis is so much more potent, you know, than getting all this machine learning on, you know, uh, on, on measurements that don't really matter. So here's a, the best example is the classic jump test. We're seeing a lot of uh, excitement under with, with, with force plates and force analysis. 
But when you look at a horse play, and I'm going to just rehash Bob Alejo, you know, start off with what it means, horse plates. If you're not spending time training with the barbell or plyos or something really intense, why are you measuring it? And most people want to do screening for risk because they're scared to get people hurt that we're seeing more injuries because people are forgetting the big things of a strength and conditioning program, which is strength and conditioning. So the, the least sexiest thing of getting stronger is the cornerstone to power. But what do people usually do is they want to do everything besides the boring structural lifts like, you know, squatting or any type of barbell exercise. So how does this, you know, get connect to, to jump testing? Um, jump testing, everyone's doing it, but what we're seeing is, is a big, I don't know, friction point with, uh, especially in basketball, where if you're jumping a lot, you got a little bit of soreness. Are you eager to jump? What's the willingness to train? And if the willingness to train on a, on a wellness questionnaire is low, you're not going to get a valid jump. And I think you know this watching f basketball. If people are skipping the NBA slam dunk contest because they're not excited. No way are they going to be interested in jumping every week without anything that's exciting. You know, the, the NFL combine's great, but that's once in a lifetime. They're not doing an NFL combine to check in on the on the, the second-year vets. It's not an annual combine. It's a rookie combine. So jumping, you're never going to get a performance like what you do at the combine. It's the Olympics of combines. It's their only chance to make a first impression. They're not doing any conditioning. Their skill work has kind of been narrowed down to, you know, really narrow set of skills. So you're going to get this great performance, no conditioning, like I said, so the volume is low. People are tapering and peaking for one great jump, but that's not really them. Their jump is usually week three, week eight, week 16 of the NFL season. Mm -hmm. Same thing with basketball. So who you are is what you are most of the time, not one time. So everyone talks about their personal records, but they don't talk about their performance average or what any given Sunday they can do. So with jump testing, what's the purpose of it? A lot of people forget it's the purpose of it is to see how high you jump. It's okay to go into monitoring to see fatigue. I mean, there's some conflicting research there. But are they motivated to jump? Because if they become less motivated to train because they're tired or they're losing or, you know, there's a little bit of an injury, you have to tease that information out. So if you're looking for performance, does the person really want to perform? Otherwise, it's just there because they feel like they have to do it. So they're going to give an average effort. So I think that's kind of a more of a rant, but I think you can get a lot from that. Yeah, but, you know, kind of... Bringing it back full circle, there is a lot of information you can get from force plates, and it is a very helpful tool if you're looking at it, you know, properly, but I do completely agree that it is still something where, you know, like what we talked about, uh, well, actually, this is being recorded the day before it goes out, so we haven't talked about it yet, uh, <laughs> but what comes out tomorrow and will have come out Tuesday of this week uh, it's, it's with Dr. Flanagan talking about his article on Mulatin's site, looking at Z-scores in your 40. Yes. You know, where you're looking at differentials between 0 to 10 and then 10 to 20 and 20 to 30. Similarly with how you would look at different aspects of the, the force curve when you're jumping or doing your mid-thigh pull 
or whatever it may be that you're doing on a forced play. You know, I think that teasing out the data, as you said, um, but also not losing the forest through the trees and remembering that, like, if some things got better, but the end product still didn't, then they got better in parts of it, but they really didn't get better. A great example is rate force development. You know, RFDs, everyone's talking about it, but it's such a pain and difficult to, as you said, tease out because you can jump a little quicker early on a force plate, but you might not jump higher. Now, what does that mean? Um, You know, there's a difference between a fast jumper and a powerful jumper. Um, Someone rebounding, Dennis Rodman, classic example, a guy that can jump up and just tap it to himself. There's a value there. That's a specific value. Um, Maximum height, there's some value there too. And I think that a lot of people look at a metric like rate force development and an athlete might gain the system without, you know, trying to be, you know, sneaky and actually just try to have a better burst. But because they're not actually better, they've learned to to get a better RFD early, but their jump's the same. Mm -hmm. Or they're not able to take advantage of the RFD because they might have a better intention, but they're not stronger. It's like testing week after week. If you're monitoring, that's interesting. But you really, if you want to see change in development, nothing happens within a week. I don't care how good of a coach you are. You're just not going to get that better after a week. So, you know, if you're testing a phase, yeah, you're right. Like Eamon Flanagan's article on, on Lawton's site was an excellent example of it. Like, okay, how do you interpret really pragmatic data? Um, that first 10 meter burst and then your peak velocity. I was talking to a guy named Jake uh, who's been involved with different types of uh, field sports. And, and Jake was really interesting. He was looking at what, how long does it take to get your, to your peak velocity? Right? What is your peak velocity? How fast can you run? How long does it take to get there? Because that really determines what type of athlete you are. If, it, if you can get fast or a submaximal part of your velocity really quickly and early, that's valuable in the, in the shorter sports like basketball. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's Eamon's uh, article is probably one of the best examples of how to use data intelligently without spending a lot of time trying to comb through things. No, yeah. Now, let, let's take a minute here and give a plug. So now you're with Simply Faster, mm-hmm. and they're going to be a great part of what we're doing here at yeah. Central Virginia Sport Performance. What are some things that that you guys have out there that people could be looking at to, to help out with some of the stuff? So let's start with uh, go back to jump testing because with, when you think about force plates, most people are doing jump tests because mm-hmm. you're trying to get – a direct measure of leg strength down into the ground. Um, when you're looking at the continuum of testing for jumps, it starts with something as nominal as like the the vertex, you know. And we know that people cheat on the on the scapula, and, and, and uh, there's a reach in kind of a cheating. But there's something to be able to to to, to throw some force down, jump up, and, and target something. We got to grab like a, a touchdown or a rebound, so something valuable to that. So that's Mm -hmm. the low-tech side, which is still valuable. And then there's something as simple as a peak velocity and an LPT, like a gym aware. And then you can move to something like a contact grid. Now, the reason I say contact grid instead of a mat is I think you've seen the optical sensors that you can get kind of like it looks like a – 
you know, you've seen this in spy films like the lasers and yeah. in this case, uh, light testing and infrared testing is you can use multiple surfaces because you're using the beam versus a mat. Just jump is great. Um, if you coach it right, you can get better numbers. It's still a little bit of an issue with flight time and contact time. But it's if you have a, a great coach that's in the weight room and really making sure that the tests are honest, you can tease out valuable data, like a traffic light. Um, it's not a force plate, and we'll get into that. But a contact grid, you can go, and if you, if you cut the grass really low, you can get surface and shoe-specific interactions. Because some guys are great in the weight room. They look good. And they get onto the grass, and somehow there's a disconnect between maybe what's below the ankle. You know, their foot doesn't really move. Uh, doesn't have that type of stiffness on different surfaces. So you can get surface specific on that. And uh, it's a contact grid. So you can get out on a track and then you can get contact times then. So a lot of times you want to get contact times for a very crude assessment of how productive is someone within a contact period. So if you do a timing gate, Eamon Flanagan's example, are there contact times you can get their contact times along with velocities. So you may, you might get a guy that is moving faster, but he has the same ground contact time, or you have someone that has less of a ground contact time, but he's moving the same speed. So what's happening. Maybe you can tease out if he needs more hip extension strength, getting those two variables velocity horizontally, which is point A to point B. That's the most important. So I don't care whatever variable is, the fastest man in the 100-meter dash or in speed in general, you just kind of care between point A and point B. But if you can get contact times, you're, you're able to get more information out of that. And it's not necessarily rate force development because RFD alone without other measures are kind of in a vacuum. But it's a great way to say, hey, are you being productive with the time that you have on the ground? And then last is jump-specific force plates. I think 3D force plates are great for the research area. But if you want something mobile and portable, you can get contact, uh, excuse me, uh, force plates and get right and left symmetry. Um, and that becomes tricky when someone is favoring a knee because they're hurt on one side or the healthy side is not performing as well because they rehabbed really, really well on the right. So you need to do some video analysis to kind of you know, cross-reference your scores. But it's a great way to see how someone's jumping. And it's not just about a counter movement jump or squat jump or kind of rebounding jumps. It's single leg hops. Great way to tease things out. So you see the whole spectrum of uh, low tech to high tech, a small amount of data to a lot of different metrics. It's and, and then, of course, there's an expense. As you put more money into it, you should be getting more and more valuable information coming back. So that's kind of the continuum of, of jump testing with, some, with Simply Faster. No, and a lot of that is absolutely fantastic stuff, and it's something where I actually would be, think would be a really cool thing that we can do Thursday yep. night before the seminar, is sure. maybe sit down and uh, have you, me, and, and Daniel Martinez, because he'll be there too. I think that yeah. could be a fun conversation, just to sit here and be like, you know, and, and rap about that. So Thursday night, yeah. the 19th, I believe it is, folks, be uh, be on the lookout for that. That'll probably be on Facebook Live. We'll make sure we send that message out. Um, cool. But we were talking about this earlier. Um, 
And I think this is pretty cool, and I think this is actually pretty flattering. So I do want to make sure that we touch base on this. You've been a huge supporter of what we've been doing here. You've been very, very involved um, to the point now where uh, second announced author for the second volume of the manual <laughs> is, uh, is Carl. So we've, we've announced Mike Robertson and, and Carl now. So the book's killer, and uh, I've actually had a chance to look through it. And you were talking off camera here about how some of the guys that we have presenting here have impacted you when it comes to some of these things. So yeah. I, think, I think that running through that right now would be, would be pretty awesome. Yeah. So I think, uh, it's, it's going to be pretty easy to list, uh, you know, the first gentleman Hawken Anderson, um, early two thousands. Uh, this is when, uh, you know, Mel Sif super training forum was going on. And we saw this epic debate or discussion with Hank uh, Hawken uh, and Charlie Francis on fiber adaptations. And, of course, I sat on the, uh, on the sidelines on it because it was pretty intense because there's some serious theories and debates going on with the value of conditioning and tempo training and how that affected either recovery or fitness of an athlete, specifically a speed and power athlete. So one of the things that I, I really been focusing on in the last, I don't know, 10 years is fiber adaptations and getting down to something invasive. Um, I think it's important to know that if you really want to figure out something, you have to do something that is going to be difficult to measure because that's where the cream comes from. So in the, uh, uh, the book, in the manual part two, I didn't get too much into it, but I talked about conditioning, as you know. And one of the things I've been really looking at is mitochondrial adaptations. Now, if you really want to get a fiber test and get mitochondrial changes, you can pay out of pocket. Uh, believe it or not, it's not going to be cost prohibitive. You're not spending $5,000. If you have a, a, a nurse friend and uh, a waiver, <laughs> a legal waiver, you can get access to some area labs where they have those high-powered microscopes. And if someone knows what they're doing, they can actually look. Uh, I, I took a picture of a uh, research scientist on his uh, thesis, and he actually did his own biopsy on his leg. Uh, and you can see the picture of him just taking like a, uh, an ice pick and just taking a, a sample out because he wanted to know whether certain high-intensity intervals did something. Um, so – you know, all of that stuff, I'd say that uh, Hawken has really delivered me the, 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 the really intense sports science adaptations like, like, like uh, Hank did. Um, another example of, of a speaker is Brad, um, uh, Dr. Deweese. I think that he's done a lot of nice things of taking Mike Stone and making it a little bit more contemporary. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, because of his track background, uh, I really like how he sees the sports science and applied side without losing the coaching. So that's something I think is something I, I, I picked up. Um, other speakers that I was surprised, I, I had the, 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 I finally got to meet, uh, you know, obviously uh, Doug, um, who I think is way ahead of his time. And he really focuses on the on the on the valuable, the things that matter. Um, right now, it's it's easy to get focused on some esoteric stuff, but body composition, something as simple as being lean and how to make sure someone is 
is, con uh, is maintaining their conditioning. Those primary eggs is what keeps me honest. When you see someone like that, who's coached as almost as much as uh, I've been alive, it's really nice to see those things, um, you know, that surface that still are valuable today. It's not like, oh, in the good old days, in the, in the 1980s, in the early 90s, we did this. No, it's like this stuff still works and probably it matters more today because everyone's afraid to train. All right, so then, and then of course we have Keenan and Brian Mann. Um, and the reason I pair them together is because right before, uh, um, I think it was in October before the, it was 2015, and I, I, you did, a, I think it was a podcast or something with Keenan, and you spoke so highly of him. I was like, I got to talk to this guy. And there was a little bit of an overlap at the USOC. And um, so we finally got to meet up um, in Phoenix. And he's the guy that will just, he's so humble. Yeah. And so Brian was uh, doing some great things with his VBT. And that's how the, you know, the maintaining of, or development of power was sort of promoted um, by connecting Brian with Keenan. So if anyone's, you know, just listening in, they don't know who Keenan Robinson is. He was sort of the guy that's behind Phelps in terms of the, the performance and medical side for the last decade. And a guy that's the, the ultimate professional, humble, willing to learn and share. I, that visit was just awesome because you get to see the man himself train and you see the reality of training, not like, okay, something simulated or a little bit of a burst. So Brian and him, they, they kind of connected and they used some really simple and applied ways to ensure that the dose was precise so that, you know, everything was developing. And that was a, you know, that was that transition from that year where, you know, you still, you know, he, he competed, but it was just like his first year back. And then the year after, we all know it's history. So whatever happens, clearly the VBT didn't hurt the performance. So those two gentlemen are great. And then, of course, you know, obviously uh, last year I was reading the, the manual. And Michigan Tech, I think that's still, I don't know, it's in Canada. You know, it's Almost. so far north. Yeah, <laughs> the upper peninsula of Michigan. So, I mean, it's. I mean, it's, it's more than a hop, skip, and a jump because you got to go across Lake Michigan. But, yeah, it's right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, obviously, I'm, you know, I read that article about, uh, uh, you know, respiration and, you know, and, and tidal volume and just learning all the stuff about breathing in a way that I think is, like, just really fruitful. Um, you know, obviously, breathing training, a lot of people talking about parasympathetic reactivation. But I like the fact it's a little bit more performance-based mm -hmm. and a great way to know that your, uh, your conditioning's tough. When you get those intercostals, you can see some of those finger – I call it the cocktail weenies near your ribs. If you ain't seeing those develop, then you're not training in the conditioning hard enough. You, know, you, can, you can talk about you know, lying on your back and relaxing. But some of these days, you just got to crank out the conditioning if you really want to see an a adaptation. And then, of course, Brett. Um, uh, Brett has done a lot of uh, development on, you know, making sure coaches are beyond the simple X's and O's. I think you got to know your bread and butter on the training. But it's beyond communication. It's beyond motivation. It's actually having people skills without making it kind of silly or, or, or cliche. Um, I think the people skills is, is something that people tend to have a talent for it, and they do it on their own or some people never develop it. 
but I think he's kind of cracked the code and done a really nice job of, of outlining, you know, how to do a better job with your X's and O's by doing things that are repeatable. And then you can say, oh, okay, I knew about this, but I wasn't as polished. So I think he polishes uh, that concept of people skills or coaching skills with communication and, and connection. So I think I'm excited about uh, each year you, you put on a good show and I'm just excited to come and I, I'll arrive Thursday uh, a day early because, you know, it's just, just great to learn from you guys. Oh, no. And that's absolutely fantastic stuff. And we are stoked to have you coming in here Thursday. It's always fun to sit down and talk. So I think that what would be, though, an awesome way to end this, and we did this the first time we had the interview. Uh, gosh, that was what, like episode like four or something? Yeah, maybe it was a couple five. of years ago. Yeah. Um, the first one we talked about monitoring and looking at those things, and we're, we're similar here, but where do you see it going now? When we're looking at performance measurements, where do you see the future of this heading? And how can coaches stay in front of that wave or in front of that curve as they see it moving? Yeah, so right now, and this is not just monitoring, but what we're seeing is what I can the, the backlash of technology. A lot of hype, a lot of promises, a lot of failures from under-delivering. And then what we're going to have is sort of like a uh, thinning of the herd, if you will, with a lot of companies. Reason is, is that technology is a tool, it's a measurement, and there's been two sides of the camp. The people that need it to be relevant, you know, so someone will have one piece of device, they'll max it out, talk about it, and that's what keeps them relevant. And those are the people that usually aren't as strong on the coaching side, but they know that this is valuable and they're getting a lot out of it. Then the other side is the people that say, I don't want to talk, you know, I, I don't want to touch a computer. I got my eyes. I'm the, I'm the natural, you know, like the, <laughs> you know, they're hitting home runs by, uh, you know, cutting a bat out of a tree. You know, those are the, the naturals, you know. And now what we're seeing is a convergence where people are kind of balanced. Hey, you got to be that human to human connection, just like Brett talked about. But also, if you're not measuring I think you're being dishonest and you don't have to be obsessive about it. You just have to have the enough or the right frequency. So where monitoring is moving towards is more managing because you're managing people, managing resources. So I talked about modeling at the national hockey league conference uh, a year ago um, that you got to have to have a plan, which is periodization. It's just planning, you know, and then you're going to have to have monitoring, which is glorified measurements. When you combine the two, you have a model, which is a, a flexible plan, meaning you can adjust the inputs and outputs. So I think modeling is going to happen because who cares about a number on the screen unless you have a plan to handle it? Everyone talks about actionable data, but look at ankle mobility. If you want to create the biggest, you know, if you want to cause a a fiasco, if you will, ask about mobility of the ankle in basketball and what trends happen in four years, right? Everyone's doing ankle mobility, right? They, oh, mobility, you know, motion is lotion. And I'm like, okay, you had 20 guys, you had four years. What did they start off with their, the, their ankle range of motion? Yeah. What did they finish at? So I think that, you know, we're, we're going to probably get away from the buzzwords. And I think more transparency is going to happen. 
I also think that athletes are going to be more involved because what we have, what we did is we, we treated kids like the lab rats and it wasn't organic. Um, take for example, wellness questionnaires. And you know, I, you know, these coaches like, we can't get our guys to do wellness questionnaires. I said, okay, but if you, do you have a Normatech system? Like, oh yeah, we love Normatech. So I said, why don't you just, in order to rent out the Normatech in the recovery room, um, and that's no, hopefully Jim Ferris doesn't get pissed off. He has the recovery room. <laughs> He's the best. But like, you know, the recovery room, I, some people just take a, you know, an EMS system, throw it into a janitor's closet. Now we're doing regeneration. Mm-hmm. My whole point is, is that if you can somehow use like the Uber approach to taking advantage of services, the athlete can say, well, I'm real. I'm a nine out of 10 on my soreness. I want to have access to the pool or the um, pneumatic compression or whatever. Now you recorded a number because they're complaining because they want service, a massage or whatever. Now you're collecting data in a, in a more sophisticated way. Not you wake up, guys hung over from, you know, being at the, the clubs and what are they going to say? Oh, they feel like crap. They're on the road, whatever. Even if they're a saint, if you're training hard and competing, you're not going to feel that great. So you want more precision. So I think that's what's going to happen is we're going to see a little bit more a sophisticated approach to communicating and we're going to use technology better so coaches aren't slaves to it. The last thing I want to do is see interns running around sliding, you know, uh, player tracking pods into the guy's lower backs or upper backs, excuse me. We need to move away from that. We need to make sure that coaches are not uh, technology butlers. Um, so I think, I think we're going to go to that direction. And I think right now the pendulum is going to be in the middle. I think we went too much on the data and the monitoring and the science. Then we're going so far and like, oh, connecting to people. And, you know, it's good to be rah-rah and, and buddies and motivational speaking. But you got to be somewhere balanced. Because yeah. apparently no one's lazy. No one has any athletes with attitudes. Everyone's doing teamwork. Yeah. You know, anyway, enough ranting. <laughs> no, and I, I couldn't agree more with that because I think that you look at a lot of these things and it's like, you do see the pendulum swing way back and forth. And yeah. I think that the autonomy factor that is necessary with this generation when it comes to all of these things and their need to understand at a greater level and the more that they have input and understanding, the less you have to be the guy chasing somebody down to put you know, the catapult unit in their back or to make sure their heart rate monitor's on or to be like, hey man, which what's your questionnaire for the day because if they if they buy in and they're invested then they have that sort of ownership but also on top of that they don't want to let you down or themselves down for the most part there's i mean listen every yeah. team's got the other ones um but you get them to buy in by giving them the reasons to buy in and that is your involvement in these decisions because at the end of the day it doesn't matter who's doing what or what's doing who before they're the ones that have to perform on the court or the track or the pitch or whatever so that and this is you know knock wood has been something that we've been pretty successful with is let's 
instead of being like, we're all going to do this, be like, well, we could do this. This is how it could help. What do you guys think? And some of them were like, awesome. Some of them were like, no. It's like, okay, awesome people. Let's go talk. No people. Well, you can go do this. Okay, cool. Yeah, and then, then, you know, you never know. Like in two years, someone can go and, and, and have a come to Jesus moment. And also, I think you're, you're really good about uh, using the data. Um, I, I've, I've said this on a couple podcasts. It's amazing. If you want to lose an athlete's confidence, trust, or, or connection, is make them do stuff and don't use it. But it's not even not using the information because they don't know if, like, you're making adjustments to the workouts in the next week. If, if someone's, like, there's one, there's one example. I visited a team. And uh, it was awkward because there's a little bit of disconnect between the head coach and the, and the rest of the staff. And uh, so, you know, one of the assistants was a little bit, you know, gun shy of, of, of putting his foot down. And the athlete's like, my hamstrings are bleeding. And you're right next to the guy that's making us do this hard workout. Why am I writing the stuff? Now, after that, the coach is like, yeah, he's right. If I don't communicate enough, they're upset with me, but I'm not the guy, you know, yeah. doing the hard, the hard workout. So the head coach was the butcher, but the 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 staff was trying to manage it, but because there was just not a an accountability on all ends. So I think the head coaching, we talked about this, you know, during I think a couple of years ago, but I do think the future is gonna be where it's gonna be like that Popovich, where coaches, someone's gonna come up with an educational pack or some sort of revolution, not the triangle offense, not the blur offense, but it's going to be something like the, here's the sports science and tactical. You can win with the X's and O's on the, on the, on the strategy, like the Belichick stuff. Mm-hmm. But then you have a little bit of a, a touch of understanding workloads so that you're communicating with the sports science guys in a way that's in harmony. Um, usually you don't, I've seen some actual soccer, uh, fitness coaches become managers and while they were successful, they weren't really blessed on the strategy and tactics side. So they couldn't take advantage of their understanding of physiology and biomechanics. But I do think that what's going to happen is that the new generations of coaches, usually former athletes are going to grow up with sports science and use it in an applied setting versus kind of like a theoretical setting or on a research side and be able to apply it in like 10 years or so. Oh, fantastic. And I couldn't agree more. I think that finding the way that we're still doing what we're supposed to and and mixing in the things that are going to be assistance to the coaching staff is exactly the direction things are going to go. And I I think that's an absolutely brilliant point to end it on, Carl. And uh, I think that this is an absolutely killer talk, bro. I can't thank you enough for being on with us today, man. And uh, we'll see you a week from the day this airs, brother. All right. Thank you so much for your time. And, uh, you know, enjoy your day. This, this, uh, the weather here is, uh, finally shaping up. It was much better than the last time we Skyped, but, uh, thanks again for having me. And, Again, congratulations on always putting on a good show at the Central Virginia Seminar. Thanks, brother. Appreciate you, man. We'll see you in a week. All right, bud? All right. Thank you. Later. And a huge thanks again to SimplyFaster.com's Carl Vallier for spending the time with us today. Guys, if you're talking to Carl, you're going to get some open, honest, candid thoughts and opinions. And as always, I can't thank the man enough for, for being just that. Carl's been a great friend of mine for 
for many years now and has been someone that I've been able to bounce ideas off of and, and, and really have as a great resource. So I can't thank him enough for, for coming on today and being so open, honest, and candid in his sharing. And I hope you guys enjoyed the talk as much as I did. And if you did, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Guys, again, we're just trying to get great information out to great coaches. And if you did enjoy the talk, smash that like button and, and please share it with us. And, and as always, guys, I just can't thank you enough for everything that you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then. <laughs>